Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today at your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you, oh boy, it feels great to say this, the day after the Knicks have played a basketball game. Yes, that's right, for the first time in four months. They are back, uh, and hopefully better than ever. I don't know it as I'm recording this intro at 7 p.m. Uh, on Tuesday night, actually, right before they they played this game. Um, as a reminder for anybody who is new to the Knicks Film School podcast, if you are looking for uh, a recap slash analysis slash um, all sorts of opinions uh, in between thoughts from people who watch the game, all big mess of stuff. Tune in on this very podcast feed uh, to our post-game recaps. So uh, if you're looking right now, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, check out. Uh, it'll it'll pop up something like Post Game Live, and uh, I will have all kinds of thoughts for you about the Knicks preseason opener against the Indiana Pacers. Um, but you will not be hearing about that on this podcast Episode 399, as it were, of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, Very proud to say we have yet another author on uh, after having Chris Herring on last week. Today, we have Dan Grunfeld. Now, if the name Grunfeld sounds a little familiar to you, it should. And that is because uh, Ernie Grunfeld was the man who was uh, essentially the most important person in the Knicks front office for most of the 1990s. Uh, He also played for the Knicks once upon a time and uh, has a long and storied history with the franchise. This is his son. Uh, So Dan, for as we'll talk about on the pod, actually had a cup of coffee with the Knicks. He uh, signed on to play with them in training camp uh, once upon a time many years ago. He was uh, quite the player at Stanford before an injury kind of derailed his career. And uh, as we will talk about much on today's show, he wrote a book uh, and he wrote a book specifically about something that is very personal and dear to him. And we are lucky enough to talk to him about it. The name of the book, By the Grace of the Game, um, it is a story that weaves together his family past as the grandson of uh some individuals who survived the Holocaust. And um, he talks about his dad, Ernie, who is the only uh, person to 
win an Olympic gold medal for uh, the United States of America, who, again, had uh, parents who survived the Holocaust. It was one of the more fascinating and interesting conversations that I've had uh, recording episodes for this show. He was fantastic. We get into the 90s Knicks. We get into a, a bunch of Knicks stuff. Obviously, we get into some other stuff as well. Um it was a just it was a very rewarding conversation, I will just say. So uh, Dan Grunfeld coming up very soon. One um, very quick note before I get to the conversation. I said a few times on the pod that the release date for the book, again, by the grace of the game, uh, was November 16th. Dan actually informed us afterwards that it has now uh, been pushed back to November 30th. Um, that being said, you can go ahead and pre-order the book um, now and we'll include links for that. Again, just Check out when we uh, drop the pod on Twitter or wherever you're you're finding your podcasts. So I think that's it. Uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Dan Grunfeld. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, um, if you were a really dedicated fan, you will have seen this person in uniform, uh, a New York Knicks uniform, about 13 years ago when he had a cup of coffee uh, in, in training camp with the team. Um, he is uh, probably better known uh, over the years for being the son of Ernie Grunfeld, of course, uh, famed Nick. Uh, he had a lot of roles with the team, but obviously the GM uh, when they uh, had their rise to prominence in the 90s. And most recently, he is the author of By the Grace of the Game, the Holocaust, a basketball legacy, and an unprecedented American dream. Uh, coming out November 16th in bookstores everywhere, Dan Grunfeld. Hello, Dan. How are you? Doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And if you remember me wearing a Knicks jersey, you are a committed fan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, listen, if you, I mean, who doesn't Google themselves? To this day, if you Google, your, if you Google Dan Grunfeld, one of the first images that comes up is you, uh, number nine. There you go. Listen, I'm not deleting that photo. I want it up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I want to talk. Obviously, we're going to talk a, a lot about the book um, because I just think, you know, there you there is literally one person that could have written this story. And it is you because this is uh, as unique a story as you are ever going to come across. Um, and, you know, I, the perspective that you have having growing up in, in obviously your family with your dad and everything. Uh, I'm excited to hear about that, but listen, we, we brought it up already. So let's go back in time to 2008. So you had been playing professionally for a little bit, right? Um, mm -hmm. Overseas. Tell me what that was like. Did you get a call? Like, Hey, we want you to come to the team. How, how'd that go? So it was after my second year and I, I was playing in Spain and I had a really good year. I led my team in scoring. I was kind of like, you know, hitting my stride. I was on the rise. And I had a bunch of workouts scheduled for NBA teams, but I had a bone spur in my ankle. So I missed every workout except one, which happened to be the Knicks. You know, <laughs> so for me, having grown up around the Knicks, you know, obviously I, I know the organization well, but at that point I was just a pro and I was like, hey, I, I'm trying to, you know, make it to the league. And so I went to uh, the Knicks practice facility for this kind of three-day mini camp. And I tell this story in the book and, you know, they had the list of the teams on the whiteboard. There was like, I think there were 19 players and really top level players in Europe. And my name was there was one team with an extra person and my name was the extra one, you know? So I kind of looked at that like, oh, okay. Like, you know, my dad was the GM of the team. It kind of like, yeah. you know, I was like, okay, am I a favor here? I ended up leading the camp in scoring, not because I was mad, right? right? I think that helped, but like, ultimately <laughs> I kind of, I hit my stride, but I was a little, uh, you know, annoyed by that and uh, had a really strong camp. And Donnie Walsh was the GM. 
uh, he invited me to training camp. And so, you know, it just so happened that it was the Knicks, you know, for me, it could have yeah. been, you know, and like, yeah, it was a coincidence, but it was a happy one. Cause then you know, we'll get into it. Like all the history my family has with the team and I wouldn't have had it any other way. Uh, it, it's funny. We, we just had this, um, obviously this great season, which everybody's excited about, you know, now transitioning to the year two with the Thibodeau era and everything. Um, I still have very fond memories of Donnie Walsh. Like I re- you know, I remember when Donnie first came here, he came with that level of like, I almost want to say a level of like gravitas, like a level of respect 100%. around the league. Like what, what did you know, Donnie? I, I mean, I'm sure you had come across him at some point over the course of your life. I did know him a bit. My dad and him had a really good relationship. He's he's a he's a gentleman, you know, obviously very knowledgeable about the game of basketball, but just, you know, ton of respect. He's, he's widely respected around the league. And so I, I always enjoyed my time around him, treated me great uh, and did a, and, you know, he did a great job and he brought a lot of talent to the team. So when I was there it was Mike D'Antoni's first year yep. and, you know, the team didn't necessarily fit together well. But I mean, you had Jamal Crawford, you had Zach Randolph, you had David Lee, like there was a lot of really strong talent there. So it was, yep. it was a great experience, man. Uh, we were we were um, just reminiscing before we we uh, you came on and started recording, and I, I asked Andrew, I'm like, I'll give you a, a ten bucks if you could remember who led the team in scoring that year, and of course, Andrew right away, uh, Al Harrington. I would not have remembered it was Al Harrington. I probably would have gone with David Lee. Um, <laughs> no, but but Al was he was a nice talent. Um, so yeah, no, but like you, you know, obviously that was the the kind of the cup of coffee you had in the NBA, but you had a really long and successful career. I mean, after obviously what was a, a fantastic um, time at Stanford, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes we forget that the NBA is only one professional league, you know, or, or some people do, maybe not everybody. Um, overall, would you say you were, you know, you were happy with how your career turned out as a pro? hundred percent. I mean, listen, you know, I suffered a very bad injury at Stanford. You know, I was the second leading scorer in the PAC 10. I tore my ACL right at the end of the season. You know, Tiger Woods sitting courtside, nationally televised games it was really a dramatic oh. injury. So that that altered the course of my career. But to your point, like and me growing up, my dad played in the NBA, worked in the NBA. That's all I had my sights set on. So I remember when I got my first contract overseas, I didn't know what that meant. And it almost I almost considered it like a failure. But once you get over there and you realize how high the level is, ultimately you're playing professional basketball, you know, doing what you always dreamed of doing. You're just doing it in a little bit of a different way. Um, yeah. And then personally, like broaden my horizon so much, man, living all around the world, different cultures, different people also learned a lot about basketball because like the game is played oh, sure. differently. So they're just like broaden my horizons in so many ways. So I, I wouldn't trade it. What do you think is the biggest difference from, from playing overseas to how the game is played here? Oh, I, man. And I know that I know the game is as of I think if you compare the game the way it was played in the late you know a mid to late aughts, um, you know versus now, I'd like I kind of think we've embodied here in America some of the principles that you know maybe after they started whipping our butts in the Olympics or, or international competition, I shouldn't specify the Olympics. I you think know, I, I think that it has been a little bit more international of late. I'll tell you, like if I had to pinpoint one thing, the game overseas is more physical. The referees okay. call it differently. And, but, but that has a ripple effect because there's less space, you know, you, like you can't do as much off the dribble because defenders are able to kind of put their hands on you a little more. So that yeah. really changes how the game is played and like what, what you put value on. So the dribble is valued less, the pass is valued more, you know? And then so yeah. The, yeah. just the, the way the game is played is different. It's also, 
it's it's highly team oriented. Not to say yes. that like I grew up in, in the United States, AAU, right? Like I was trying to score and get buckets. Yes, I wanted to win, of course, and I ultimately was a team player, but like we're we have a little bit more of an individualistic culture, which is why we have the best players, right? Like we, but you know, overseas, they're highly, highly committed to the team game. So like you might be the best player on the team, but you're playing 25 minutes, just like everyone else, you know? So it's kind of like a little bit more distributed, but um, yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a learning curve when you first get over there, but there's a lot to learn. Well, um, you really, you obviously did well, had a long career over there. And then, you know, fast forward to uh, now and it's uh, 2021. This book is coming out in about a month and a half. Um, I, I, I guess I want to start with like, where was the inspiration? I mean, obviously you have this one of a kind tale and we'll, we'll get into it in a bit. But at what point was it like, you know what, I should I should put pen to paper and actually tell this story. Totally, man. Like, I've always loved to write. You know, and so I think writing is just something that's kind of inside of you that if you love to do it, it's almost like you can't not do it. And I've always been like that. So people knew I played basketball, but after practice, I would come home and write stories and write poems and things like that. My parents could have told you that it was always kind of like something I really loved to do. And when I was playing, I had contributing writing positions to several websites. So just kind of exercising that muscle. Uh, But I always knew there was kind of like this white whale project, which was this book. And I, I, and you knew it was this, this story is what you wanted I knew to it was tell. this story, man. Cause I lived this story and I always felt like the profound impact of it. And I thought, man, this is an important story to tell, not just for me, but I think, you know, it's, it's relatable because it's, it's a story of overcoming adversity, you know, family, legacy, love, and, and these things are kind of universal. And so I mean, I was like, man, you know, that would be my dream is just to tell this story, it, but it is very big. So I knew it would take a long time and it would, it would just take a lot. And after I retired, I went to business school, which gave me some space to explore some some things. I said, you know what? Now's the time. And so I did, you know, I spent a year and a half doing the research. You know, I spent eight years, eight months writing the first draft where I got up at six in the morning every morning to do it, you know? So like I, uh, and it's funny because I said to my wife, you know, this isn't going to happen casually. I have to approach this. Like I approach basketball and with hoops, like sure, my whole schedule was, was revolved around the game, you know? So I said, I have to approach this really surgically. So yeah, set my alarm, got up, just like approached it like basketball. And eight months later, I had my first draft. So you mentioned, it's funny, I was just about to ask about this. You mentioned the research. Um, I'm curious, how does one go about doing research for a book that is primarily, if I, if I understand it correctly, about your family and your family history? Like where, how much did you, did you know um, going in and like where, where did you want to fill in the gaps and know you needed to fill in the gaps? For sure. I knew the high level story, right? Because my dad is the only player in NBA history whose parents survived the Holocaust. So both of his parents are Holocaust survivors. My grandmother, I live in the Bay Area. She lives 25 minutes away from me. She came to oh. every single home game I played at Stanford. We talk every day. We've always been extraordinarily close. She's as sharp as a tack at 96. Like her memory is unbelievable. So there's a lot to extract there. Um, <laughs> So while I knew I knew the high level details, we never really dug into specifics. And I don't just mean about her; sure. I mean all her family and my grandfather's family and what happened, where, when. Uh, at the same time, with my dad, because you know my dad doesn't talk much about this background. You know, I in my book I discuss the notion of privilege a lot, and I'm privileged in a lot of different ways. One of them is that I have a generation of separation. You know, my dad was mm. born under communism in Romania, and of course we'll get to this, but people know. Ernie Grunfeld in New York as a Nick, you know, he was a New York City basketball legend, but my dad has a background that people really don't know about. And 
there's a lot of difficult stuff there. And so he doesn't talk about it much, you know? So talking to my dad and, and drawing out some of the things that he went through before he came to America. And so, and then, you know, piecing those things together, talking to other family, doing some research, you know, about from sources, just to understand the history. It was, it was a project. It was, it was a big project. I, I mean, it's just, you know, no matter what life you lead, right? Like you led a life growing up with a dad who run a basketball team, but I, I, you could, you know, you're, you're, you're you could have a father or a mother that's a teacher or a fireman or whatever. Um, like you don't come home and sit at the dinner table and like, you, you know, go to your dad or your mom. Like, so tell me about, you know, 20 years ago when, you know, like, like those conversations don't happen organically. And, and it's, it's funny because I think we re- we think sometimes that like people in other households, they just, they've di- they've delved into all this stuff, but that's not reality. So I imagine the process of, well, you tell me, was getting your dad to sit down and really have these conversations with you, was that in and of itself a challenge or, or how was that process? That process was okay because we, you know, we're very close. We talk every day anyway. And I just kind of said, you know, I didn't even tell him what I had in mind necessarily. I just said, listen, I want to make sure this history is memorialized. Just let's just talk about it. And so when I was in school and, and so we kind of set time every day. I just call him after class. I'd have a recorder. I'd transcribe the conversations and we just chat, you know, and, and of course I know about his experience in the Olympics and I know yeah. what it was like for him to immigrate. And, you know, my dad, when he got to America, he lost his brother to leukemia less than a year after they got here. And that's a, a very big tragedy in my family, you know, so that's a hard, my dad doesn't like to talk about that. So that's a hard thing to kind of draw out, but he did, you know, he talked to me about the different aspects of his life and playing at Tennessee and the Knicks and just the whole thing. And literally like it was over a year of just like, and it was actually really fun, you know, because you, I got to know my dad better. I was like about to you say, said. you guys probably got closer, right? Yeah. Like how often do you talk to your parents about what they were doing in high school? You know, like, yeah. It's not something that, or like, what was summer camp like? Like, well, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff doesn't come up much. So, yeah. and, and particularly with his journey and how unique it's been and how, how much he does not like to talk about it. There were some <laughs> things that came out and even to this day, things come out that I'm like, whoa, you know, I, I didn't know that. So it was, it was meaningful. Do you, I, I, I could tell just from hearing you talk about it, what, what you got out of it. Do you have any idea like what your dad got out of this process talking to you about this stuff? I think there's some, it's cathartic in a way, you know, to have a safe space to, to share details that maybe you don't talk about a lot, you know? So I think that while it was hard and there's a lot of really hard stuff, like there's really hard stuff in the book. There's also really triumphant stuff. You know, because sure. listen, where my dad came from and where he got, it, it's un, it's really unbelievable. And so you can celebrate that, but you also have to look back at some of the things that happened, which are really, really hard. You know, my dad never had grandparents. All of his grandparents were killed in Auschwitz. Uh, my grandmother lost five siblings in the Holocaust. You know, my dad lost his brother. You know, it's this is really serious stuff. But my book and in my life, man, this is the life I've lived where like basketball for my family did things that incredible. You know, you like the power of a game to change generations of a family just because, you know, from where my dad came and then he found basketball and it gave him a new life, you know? So uh, it was kind of that story I was really trying to tell. And it's really the story I've lived. It, it's amazing. Um, it's amazing hear, hearing you talk about this. I, I, you know, we're, we're so far removed from that. You know, I like, it, it, I don't know if you know this, I, I also teach and like I've taught like Holocaust units in school and you try to tell, like explain this to people, the young people nowadays. And it's not, 
I don't know. I feel like it like so it doesn't it doesn't always register. And I don't know that it registered for me when I was growing up because I was, you know, whatever it was, 50 years removed from it. But I guess from from for you, you know, because we're about the same age growing up in, in your family, like how how cognizant of were you of the like the real history and how like obviously you knew what I'm sure you knew what happened, but how it touched your family and like the emotional impact that that had, like, were you, were you cognizant of that growing up? I was aware, but as I got older and more mature, you kind of understand the gravity of it, you know, but I was, I was aware at a fairly young age, you know, my grandma, we've always been really close. She talks with a heavy accent and listen, when, when your loved ones tell stories about people who are no longer around, you know, you, you kind of understand what happened a little bit. And, you know, there's a saying like, it, it feels so, it feels so foreign to us now in 2021 in the United States of America. But my grandmother, again, she's 96. Like I will talk to her tonight when we hang up, but you know, we stop talking. Like she was there, she survived her, her, most of her family was not able to. So it's like, it wasn't that long ago and it wasn't that far away. You know what I mean? That's really, that's the reality of it. And, you know, I, my first year professionally, I played in Germany, which was also a whole different thing. And I said this, like, I'm probably the only Oof. professional basketball player who had to call his grandmother to ask permission, which I did. My agent said, Hey man, I got a great, great opportunity for you. And I was psyched. I was like, Let's do it, man. I'm ready to roll. Yeah. Tell me where I'm there. He's like, Germany. I was like, hold on a second. Like, and I, the, first, the first thing that came to my mind was I have to call my grandma. And so I called her and, you know, she didn't hesitate. She said, I said, you know, I have an opportunity, but there's a problem. And she said, what's the problem? I said, it's in Germany. She said, there's no problem. She said, sons are not responsible for the sins of their father. She said, you go, you enjoy. My grandmother is the most amazing, amazing person. And, um, and, you know, listen, we, when we played in Nuremberg in Germany, we went by the site of the Nuremberg rallies, which were these fam famous, you know, Nazi rallies. And in Berlin, we went to the Holocaust Memorial Museum and you know, there was like a reconciliation for me, you know, at the time, because listen, obviously that history is well known. So uh, yeah, it's always been a thread throughout my life, knowing what happened. And as I got older, understanding it more, and this book is really the culmination because now I really know, I mean, listen, I mean, I really know what happened to my, my grandmother's yeah. siblings and her parents and yeah. So it, but it's always been a history that's, that's been part of my life. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. 
We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Knicks basketball is finally back, and there is no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Knicks tickets anymore. TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you could find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. I know with the real games around the corner, while I am, of course, excited about every Knicks game, I think I'm most excited to see how the Knicks do in a rematch at home against the Atlanta Hawks. Seeing Trey Young take a bow on the court last season was not something I took kindly to, so I feel like that is one game I may need to be there in person for to show just how much I disapprove of his antics. If you would like to go root against Trey Young or any of the other Knicks opponents this year, visit TickPick.com slash Film School today and use the promo code Film School to save $10 on your first order of Knicks tickets. One more time, visit TickPick.com slash FilmSchool today and use the promo code FilmSchool to save $10 on your first order of Nick's tickets. I do want to touch on your dad a little bit more. So, uh, I mean, you mentioned a few times, Olympic gold medalist. Um, what, what can you tell us about what it was like for him, um, again, his journey to this country and and kind of what that meant to him to then, you know, carry the flag and 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 have that medal slipped around his neck. I mean, ex- extraordinarily meaningful. And it's funny if you ask, like, what does it mean to my dad? My dad was a kid who came to America, who didn't speak English. Parents were Holocaust survivors, have to work for basically seven days a week. And then his brother passed away. So he has this really tough background. He just went to the park in Forest Hills, Queens to make friends and learn English. And then he started playing hoops and then he was good. And then he was really good. And then he was really, really good. So for him, basketball was just an escape, you know, and I grew up always thinking I'd play in the NBA, you know, my dad yeah. just played hoops just because that's all there was. And I, and I write a story in the book where my grandparents, they never saw my dad play basketball until he was a junior in high school. And they got a call wow. at their fabric store there. His high school coach said, you're going to want to see this guy play, you know, he's pretty good. And so they shut their store down, which like had never happened before. Like the idea of them shutting down their fabric store, like, yeah. you know, it didn't exist. Right. So yeah. they go to see him and, you know, they'd always, my grandfather would make him come to the store and work. And after the game, he told them right on the court, you never have to come again. You just play basketball. And I guess, you know, I guess he had a good game. <laughs> Listen, dude, he was already like all city, you know, and then the next year yeah. he's an all American. He's one of the highest recruited players in the country. So his evolution just kind of happened and he was off to the races for my grandparents. My grandmother still talks 
about the Olympics. Cause for her, the dream of that is almost unfathomable, right? To come where she came from, to come sure. to America, America really accepted my family. And then 10 years later, my dad is standing on the Olympic podium as a gold medalist for the United States, where he didn't even speak English when he got here. You know, it really, and that's yeah. why the subtitle is an unprecedented American dream. It's never really happened. You know, it come from the hall, the shadows of the Holocaust to, to get to that spot. And so, yeah, it's, it's my dad probably wouldn't talk about it with as much meaning as I do or my grandmother does, but man, incre- incredibly meaningful. Um, so again, I, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know this, but for anybody who doesn't, your dad was, um, I talk about a player, uh, 11th pick in the draft. Um, not, not many people can say that they were, were taken that highly after obviously a very successful career, um, at Tennessee, um, had a, had a solid pro career, obviously was, was with the Knicks, um, you know, played with, with, with Bernard King. I think that was a nice, uh, kinship that developed over mm-hmm. the years between, you know, all the places. And then, you know, he's, his playing career ended. And I think for a lot of guys, you know, that's it. But he goes on to have this. I mean, it's a career that really is still going because I know he's, he's, you know, was last with Washington. Um, but, uh, you know, your dad, I'm sure he'll get if he wants to, to go mm-hmm. back, latch, latch on somewhere else. Um, what do you think motivated him to just keep it going and again, become this this person who was just so respected and renowned um, in his role at the Knicks. And then obviously with Milwaukee and, and Washington after that, you know, he loves the game. My dad loves the game of basketball. Right. And so it's just it's just such a passion. He's so I mean, extraordinarily knowledgeable about every facet of it. And I think he treats people really well and always has. So, you know, when he retired, I think the Knicks said, hey, we have an asset here because he had opportunities to play elsewhere. But the Knicks said, this is a guy who's he's smart. He works hard. People really like him. He knows the game. And so he actually started announcing they offered him yes. a job to become a broadcaster. And to, he did some like scouting and some coaching on the side, but which is also funny. And I, and I reference this in the book, like he came to America not speaking English and kids made fun of him because he couldn't speak properly. And then he's announcing Nick games on the radio. You know, so it's like it really was full circle. Um, And I just think, you know, his command of the game, the way he treats people, uh, just he he just continued to climb, you know, and they made him an assistant coach and then an executive and then he was a GM and president. And and so his I think it's really just a testament to his skill, his work ethic and his love for the game. I mean, even to this day, like we'll talk tonight, like the preseason's going, we'll talk about the preseason. And like, he's watching, he'll know, you know, <laughs> and like, like, you know, the cuts with my dad are so deep. Like it's, it's like, he'll know where the guy went to high school and who his coach was and where that person played, you know? So it, it really never stops. Uh, but his, yeah, it's, it's really like his skills, but also his love. That uh, that's amazing to hear. Um, and his, his love uh, led to some success here in New York. Um, obviously he was with the team when they made the finals um, in 94 he assembled the entire roster that made the finals in 99. Um, he, he could, he'll always get to take credit for that. Um, and, you know, just, I think so many Nick fans, especially around our age, but even a little bit younger than us and probably older than us too, um, have just nothing but great memories um, from those nineties teams. I'm, I'm curious, you're growing up in that household and he's, you know, kind of starting to build this, this, this franchise up. Uh what was that like for you? I mean, what's it like to be the kid of a, you know, of an NBA GM? It's, it's awesome, man. I mean, listen, there are two sides to every coin and we'll get to both of them, but 
it's 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 amazing there are great perks to it like first of all because i grew up loving the game too you know so first and foremost i get to share a love with my dad and have like as much access as you could imagine to that love right like yeah going to practice on the weekend coming home and like there's nick's players in my kitchen which like would happen you know and so like that part of it was amazing learning the game experiencing the playoffs you know getting to run around the garden getting to shoot at the garden like these are things that every kid dreams of and i got to do it which is so cool the the flip side is like there's a lot of pressure and like there's a lot of expectations and kids are not always so kind about it and you know listen when the knicks are playing well my dad's the smartest best guy in the world when they're struggling <laughs> it's not that way you know this is kind yeah. of the life you live you the media is like that anyway but you know the new york media is, is notoriously tough and so Sure. I think growing up in that situation makes a family, brings a family very close together and makes you very insular, you know, and you kind of, you, you rely on each other and you understand that, Hey, you're never as good as people say you are. You're never as bad as people say you are. You just, and for my dad, where he came from, like he's an immigrant, like put your head down, work, do your job. My dad's not a big talker. So he was never like into the media stuff, you know, yeah. like he just kind of did his job, wanted to win and, and they won a lot, you know, and it was, I mean, it was awesome, dude. It was awesome. Well, I mean, other than, you know, the stretch from the, the mid to late sixties to the early seventies, it's, it's the longest sustained stretch of winning that the franchise has ever had. Um, and it's not particularly close. And actually, if you want to get technical, it's a, it's a longer stretch because they, the, the stretch, obviously they won two championships in the, in 1773, mm -hmm. but that was a little bit shorter than the run um, in the nineties, which, you know, they just kept going despite, different coaches, um, you know, it was basically just, you know, it was Ewing and, and your dad was here for, for pretty much all of it. That's right. Um, did you get to watch games with him ever during that time? Always, man. Like we, I would go to the garden. I would sit in the box with him, you know, like my mom and sister would sit down. We had seats, you know, closer to the court and I would sit upstairs with my dad and yeah, he was, I was there every step of the way, man. He always, in, you know, my dad is family first. You know, and so more so than like going to practice, it was like bring Dan to practice, you know, just like any, oh. you know, you know how dad, how being a dad is. And yeah, so, sure. oh man, always watching games with my dad and great, great thrills, great heartbreak. You know, we could go through all of them. Like well, to this day, we talk about game seven and 94 in Houston and my family was there, you know, and yeah, exactly. There's like everyone now, like, oh God, we, everyone remembers, you know, yeah. it's, it's the worst. It stays with you forever. But you know, we also remember the great times. And to your point, it was really cool. Cause like, you know, the 94 team, obviously Patrick, but you had different kind of cast of characters, you know, John Sars, Charles, Derek Harper, but that 99 team, you know, my, my dad rebuilt it, you know? So there yeah. was Alan Houston and, you know, 96 was Alan Houston, Chris Childs, Larry Johnson. We had Sprewell Camby, you know, so you saw different iterations uh, of the Knicks, but it was always toughness and heart. And like, that's what New York city is. That's what New York city basketball is. So we, I mean, to this day, we'll still talk about it. Like, man, if you didn't see it, the Knicks in the nineties in the garden, you, you, you just don't know you it's, I mean, you could try to describe it, but like, if you, unless you, like, cause first of all, it was a different sport back then. I don't, I don't know that the sport that was played then is anything like what we see in the sport that's played True. now. Um, but yeah, no, it was, I mean, the intensity, the love, the passion, um, you just mentioned Spreewell. I second after DeBusher, I, I let me make sure I'm not saying speaking out of turn here. I think that was the second greatest trade in Knicks history to 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 get Latrose. And I and this is no shade against John Starks. Love love John Starks the best, from school. The best. Big fans of John Starks, but like it was Spreewell, you know? And your That's dad pulled that off. 
he he didn't. The one thing I'll say about my dad is a he takes risks, calculated. He's also a data driven thinker, so he takes all the inputs, makes a decision, but he's not afraid to take risks. And that was a huge yeah. risk at the time, I and mean, I remember that because we knew oh, what happened with Sprewell and it was some PR issues. <laughs> Listen, that that's a risk, you know, and but he it's was a such a phenomenal player. And and listen, my dad ultimately lost his job for that risk, you know, because he didn't get to he was let go from yeah. the team in April of that year. So he yep. didn't actually get to see the team go to the well, he saw it, but he wasn't part of it when they were yeah, in the final. No. So yeah. but but he he was obviously proven correct because that that was a huge risk that paid off. And uh and also it's similar with Camby, right? I mean, to trade Charles Oakley and get oh, sure. Camby, you know, he was his career, even though Cam was the number two pick in the draft, his career was kind of stalled. And Oak was, of course, a fixture in the heart of the team. And so those were really gutsy moves. Uh, but that's, you know, that's why he's had the success he, he's had. You know, he, he isn't afraid to, to take risks and they've paid off. I, I imagine for him watching the 99 uh, run to the finals was, was probably a little bit bittersweet. Very hard, man. I'll never forget it. I mean, listen, and, and this goes really deep into the book. Like, my dad used to, DeBusher was his favorite player. You just mentioned DeBusher. My dad wore number 22 at Tennessee, right? It hangs in the rafters to this day. That 22 is because of DeBusher. And my dad was like blue collar, rough, you know, and that was kind of DeBusher's game. He was all heart. So the Knicks for my dad, was, he, he sat in the bleachers as an immigrant who couldn't speak English watching the Knicks, you know, and just like dreaming of a better life. And then he's playing for the Knicks and running the team. Like it is a, it's a Cinderella American dream story. So to to be let go from any any job any team is hard but the Knicks it is you know there's there's a lot of intensity behind it you know for me as a kid it was it was of course really hard um, so yeah and, and I remember you know you, it was amazing that the team did so well because obviously it proved my dad's moves right which is great and you want the team to do well but <laughs> yeah to, to not to not be part of it anymore was difficult. Um. A couple more. You, you've been uh, great, and, and thank you so much for for the time. Um, and I want to get back to the book one more time before before I let you go. Um, is there one uh, you mentioned heartbreak, glory, you know, everything in between? Is there one memory? I mean, I, I, you know, we could talk. You know, uh, Alonzo or Jeff Van Gundy hanging on Alonzo Morning's leg, uh, the four point play. Well, that was after obviously it was the ninety nine run, but like you know, the missed finger roll. Um, you know, all, all of these things, the suspensions in 97, is there something that stands out for you when you think back like to the nineties, like that it's the memory that, that comes to mind. The first, the first one, you know, I think it's the, the Pacers series to go to the finals in 94. And you remember the Ewing tip dunk that kind of see, I like that game and, and that ascension to like taking the Knicks to the NBA finals, like the elation that day was just like extraordinary. Cause again, like, Anytime you have success in your job or, or especially with sports, it, it's amazing. When you do it with basketball in New York City with the Knicks, there's nothing like it. You know, there's nothing like it. Like, so to see like just to see the city on fire and to, to go through that with my family, that was that was the greatest. And, you know, you mentioned the finger roll. I, I was sitting right next to my dad. I remember that that game. You know, that was the Pacers, too, I think, the following year. So, like, yes, it was. Again, there are two sides, but like so, so many amazing kind of triumphs and just. And I, and I, you know, mentioned these things in my book. Like I remember as a kid going to the garden for one of these big playoff games. And I got there like an hour, hour and a half before the game, the stadium was basically full and they were already chanting defense. No <laughs> one was on the floor. Doom, doom, defense. And I walked in and I was like, dude, we are ready. We yeah. are ready. And when I mean, we, it was like New York city. You know what I mean? It's like, we're ready for this. 
Uh, I, I love it. Uh, good times. Uh, some heartbreak, but good times. Um, yeah. The book, um, again, it's it's coming out soon. Uh, pre-order now. I'm going to um, keep plugging it. Uh, November 16th, by the grace of the game. Um, it seems pretty clear that you got a lot out of this. What do you hope that people who read this uh, will get out of the book? Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, these the themes of this book are relatable, right? So this is my version of a, of a story that we all know, which is how do you overcome adversity? You know, how do you, you lean on the people you love to get through, you know, the, the day-to-day things we go through and ultimately succeed? So I hope people get inspiration. I hope they get joy. You know, there's a lot of hard things in the book, but there's a lot of fun and funny things. And so, you know, life is that way. And I really learned that from my grandma, you know, for all the pain that she went through and the tragedy, she's the first one to tell a joke at a, at a holiday party, the first one to laugh about things. And so the book kind of tries to reflect that. Um, I, and I, and especially for basketball fans, like I hope people are entertained by, by how, you know, the basketball stories and how basketball can really serve as a vehicle to take, take a family to, to places they couldn't really have imagined. Um, has your grandmother read the book yet? It's a great question. And so parts, but very small parts. So she's 96 years old. And I'm, it's actually something that I'm really nervous about. You know, it was very hard for my dad to revisit some of this history, you know? And so we are, we're tr- kind of trying to do it in phases with her because listen, like her, her father was her hero. Like I said, my, my grandmother is my grandmother's my hero. She's also a hero. She risked her life to, to save people during the war. And she did that. She obtained false documents for other people. This is all detailed in the book. So she's not only my hero, she is a hero, uh, but her hero was her father. And he was killed in Auschwitz, you know, and I go into detail about, hey, you know, we this is the history we need to confront what happened to Jews who were taken to Auschwitz, you know. And so those type of details are really, you know, it's hard for me to share that, you know, with my grandma. And so we're being kind of careful about, you know, doing it in doses. But she's the most supportive. She's the most proud. And, you know, one thing is she she said to me, you know, all the time growing up, like people. People don't know her family existed. You know, they don't, they don't have graves to visit, you know? So for now the world will know these people existed, you know, and, and there's nothing more I could ask for for my grandma to know that. That's, um, that's beautifully said. Um, I, I can't wait to read it. Uh, it, it's, you know, and, and just, it's amazing that, um, <laughs> it still feels as timely um, to have to, you know, r- remind folks that, you know, there are some really, you know, the, the world is, is, is not a great place. Um, and you would have thought that we maybe would have come farther, but it just feels like, uh, you know, it, 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 not to end on a, on a dour note, but like things uh, today, um, I, I wish we had come farther, you know, as a society. And, and I, I just, I hope people who read this realize, you know, anybody who maybe doesn't know the history of the Holocaust, uh, you know, realizes that there's just, you know, these things have continued to happen throughout history and like hatred for people because of who they are and having to nothing to do with like anything they've done. Um, you know, and I, I hope, you know, maybe there's some some positivity and, and, and some learning that, that, you know, comes from that angle of it as well. Totally. And I'll I'll modify one of the things you said. We said the world is not a great place. It's not a great place all the time. Yeah, you know so what I think? Yeah. And that's really, you know, and but that's the truth of it. It's like it could, there's some really dark things that have happened and that can happen. But and my book is ultimately a book of hope because there's be, there's so much beauty in life. You know what I mean? And like basketball was that beauty for my family. And so my dad 
you know, he, he was, he was the one who found the game and he was so good that like, it took yeah. us to, to these crazy places, but that's, that's really the, the overarching theme is like, yeah, the world is a really tough place a lot of the time, but it's also a really beautiful place, you know? So for me, it's always like trying to be on the right side of that and do everything you can to make sure that's the future we live. Well said. Um, leave it to you to, 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 if you could be hopeful, I mean, you know, <laughs> That, that's all I need to hear. Right. Um, this this was great. Had a lot of fun, uh, ladies and gentlemen. One more time, Dan Grunfeld. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that episode. My conversation with Dan Grunfeld. Uh, again, I, I really, in case you couldn't tell uh, from the tenor of my my tone or whatever, uh, as I was talking to him, uh, this was a really special one. And um, I, I hope you go out and get the book. Uh, it, uh, as he mentioned, has a forward by Ray Allen. Uh, it's uh, it's something I'm really looking forward to reading. So again, by the grace of the game, the Holocaust, a basketball legacy and an unprecedented American dream. Uh, also, shameless plug. Again, if you want to hear about the Knicks Pacers game, go check out uh, the new episode uh, post game live on your podcast stream. And if you enjoy this, if you enjoy that, leave a rating, a review, tell your friends. Uh, We appreciate all the support. And of course, we will be back with you on Friday for episode number 400. Take care. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com